things, I think one of the things about this series in heaven I love the most is the music. It's been awesome. Uh, let's dismiss Power Kids as we get ready for our next lesson in this series. I've been overwhelmed by response. I think it's been encouraging to all of us to study heaven. We've got uh, two more Sunday mornings and two more Wednesday nights after this morning. So don't miss the last four lessons as we continue to think about that amazing place. Now, one of the nice things about heaven is that as you focus on it, it makes your problems in life much smaller. And I had a little problem this week. It's not big on the great problems of life, but it was a bit of an irritation. You know these black birds that fly all around this building called grackles? Well, a couple of them have gotten inside the ceiling and they've made a nest right above my office. They make noise all the time and it is distracting and it hasn't been easy to get rid of them. Now, ironically, uh, area pastors have monthly lunches and I sat down this week at a table with three other preachers having the same problem with birds in their ceilings. One was a Presbyterian pastor, one was a Quaker, one was a Baptist preacher. All three great guys. I said, well, what are you guys doing about the problem of the birds in your building? It's interesting. The Presbyterian said, well, you know, we're Calvinist. We believe those birds were predestined to be in the ceiling, and we don't want to interfere with God's will. (laughs) My Quaker friend said, well, you know, we're pacifists. We can't harm God's creatures, so we trapped the birds, and we humanely took them outside and let them go, and two days later, they were back in the ceiling. But my Baptist buddy had the best solution of all. He said, we trapped the birds. I baptized them. I put them on the church row. And now I only see them at Christmas and Easter. (laughs) Well, there are many things missing in the church that ought to be there. Not the least of which is the commitment and sometimes even the presence of the members. But I have to say... One of the things I love about the church is that there are many things missing in the church that you find too much in the world. I find much more racism in the world than I find in the church. Much more sexism in the world than I find in the church. I find a lot more materialism in the world than I find in the church. When I look at the world religions, they're full of legalism. But when I look at the church of Jesus Christ, it's built on grace. And I think all of that prepares me for heaven because, and we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about some of the things that we're going to see that will be in heaven. But I want to suggest to you today, one of the best things about heaven are the things that are going to be missing. I want to ask you to think with me this morning, what is heaven missing? Look with me, for example, at Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
It's very clear that one of the greatest things about heaven is what will not be there. And I couldn't in one sermon begin to cover all of the things that won't be in heaven. I've picked some of the things that will mean the most to me. And one of the first might surprise you, but I call it no more inclination to rebel. Because one of the questions I'm asked a lot is, how can we have assurance that when we get to heaven, we won't do what Adam and Eve did and fall again? Or that we won't do what Satan did and rebel against God? How can we know when we get to heaven, we're going to stay there forever? And I'm suggesting today... That all thoughts, all temptations to try to rebel against God are going to be missing in heaven. Let me give you some reasons. One is because the futility of rebellion against God is finally going to be completely exposed. God's total sovereignty over evil will be obvious for all to see. There's going to be a place, I don't know where, but a place we'll be aware of called hell. And hell will be complete evidence of the futility of trying to overthrow God. And by the way, the Bible never mentions a throne in hell. Now you see that in cartoons, but you know who rules hell? God does. God is sovereign over hell and hell brings glory to God. Because it testifies to the universe of the futility of thinking you could take God off his throne. And that's going to be there as witness to us. There's going to be the eternal sufficiency of Christ's atonement. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But it also says in Hebrews 9 and 10, Christ died for sin once for all and doesn't need to ever die again. Now, there's no death in heaven. And where there's sin, there's death. There's not going to be any sin in heaven or need for Jesus to die. And then there's the truth about sin made evident. Because we're going to know what Adam and Eve didn't know. We're going to know the cost and the consequence of disobeying God. Every time we see the scars on Jesus' hands and feet, we're going to remember how ugly sin is and what it does. You see, Adam and Eve were duped by the devil. He told them, God's holding out on you. But we're going to know better. We're going to know God doesn't keep anything good from his children. And then there's going to be the incorruptibility of our new bodies. Paul says we're going to be raised incorruptible, not uncorrupted, incorruptible. We're not going to be like Adam and Eve who were created in innocence. We have a superior position. We're going to be raised in the righteousness of Christ. And then finally, remember there's going to be no evil in heaven. Satan's not going to be there to lie to us. Nothing unholy is going to be in the midst The Bible says in Revelation 21, 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What does it mean? It means the battle with evil is over. It is over. You know, there's going to be a tree of life in heaven that we will eat from, like there was in the garden. But nowhere in Revelation does it say there's going to be a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It won't be there. You know why? Remember what Satan said? Eat of that tree and you can be like God too. Well, in heaven, the issue of who is God is going to be decided forever. It's going to be forever decided. He is God. He alone can be God. He alone should be God. And we're not going to wrestle with that lie or temptation anymore. In heaven, there's going to be no more inclination to rebel. And we have no idea 
how wonderful that's going to be. In heaven, there's going to be no confrontation with evil. We've already suggested evil will have no foothold in heaven, no leverage to affect us. That's what John means when he says, I didn't see a sea there. I'm sorry to ruin one of your favorite songs about heaven, how we're going to all stand by the crystal sea. But folks, the sea in the book of Revelation was a bad place. The sea is where the beast came from in chapter 13. To the Hebrew, the the sea was a scary place full of danger. And the idea is there's not going to be any scary things in heaven. Nothing to fear. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. No one who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, one of the questions the last several years our government has wrestled with, how do you secure the borders of a great nation? How do you make all the coastline and all the borders of this country safe so that no evil person with a malicious intent could slip into this country to hurt somebody? You don't have to worry if God can protect the borders of the heavenly home. God says nothing evil will ever enter. What does that mean? That means, folks, you're not going to need padlocks in heaven. You're not going to need burglar alarms in heaven. We're not going to need policemen to walk the streets and keep them safe. We're not going to need to be suspicious of anybody or anything. There's not going to be anything to fear. There's going to be nothing to hide. We're going to be rid of the influence of the demonic empire that is all about us now in the invisible world trying to seduce us. We're going to be rid of the whole organized world system of men opposed to God. We're going to be rid of the flesh in our own nature that does exactly what we don't want to do. We're going to be rid of all of it. And I'm not going to miss any of it. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you are finally going to get what you want. Because there's going to be no more confrontation with evil. And then third, there's going to be no more expectation of death. We can't even fathom what that's going to be like. Because death And its shadow is there the moment you're born. Everybody in this room right now is dying. The evidence of death is not just in the cemetery, not just in the frail, stooped body of a very old person. We see evidence of death every time we hear of another child born with a birth defect. Every time we hear of another teenager that's got leukemia. Every time we hear of a young grandparent in the early stages of Alzheimer's, we are reminded the shadow of death is all around us. Dr. Joseph Huffman was a celebrated pianist and composer. And on his 80th birthday, a reporter asked him, Dr. Huffman, are you still composing? And he said, no, I'm decomposing. (laughs) And we all are. During the healing series, I told some of you, when I was in my 20s, I could play basketball all night long and just get up the next day and go. And then I hit my 30s, and I could play basketball all night, and I would get up the next day, and I would be sore. And now I'm in my 40s, and I get up in the morning, and I'm sore. And I didn't do anything last night. (laughs) 
The scientists call it entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. Everything in the universe is deteriorating. The shadow of death is on everything. That's the only life we've ever known. We can't even imagine a life outside the shadow of death. How do we know heaven won't be like that? One answer. Revelation 22 verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The curse will be lifted. And we have no idea what it's like to live without a thought of death. No decay. No deterioration. No sickness. No reminders of mortality. And I won't miss it. i tell you something else that's going to be unique about heaven. There will be no more occupation with time. Now, one of those great old songs some of us sang when we were kids was, When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. I hate to ruin another good song, but that's not going to be true. We're going to have time in heaven. That's a poor translation of a chapter in Revelation that talks about there's not going to be any more delay in God's judgment. The reason I know you're going to have time in heaven is because time is simply a measure of a sequence of events. In heaven, you're going to know we're doing this now and we're going to do this after we've done that. If you didn't have time, you couldn't have music. And you know there's going to be music in heaven. No, it's not that there will be no time in heaven. It's that we will not live under its pressure. Anybody here ever feel under time pressure? I sure do. Let me tell you what's going to happen to me in a couple hours. I'll preach a third service. I'll be walking to my car. I'll be exhausted. And this will happen because it happens every Sunday on the way to my car. Do you know what thought will hit my head? Oh, man, i got to get ready for Wednesday night. It doesn't matter if you have three funerals this week or a lot of counseling or if you get really sick. It doesn't matter because Sunday's coming in seven days. It's always coming in seven days. And on top of that, I've got the Friends Day series to start working on to give the worship team some lead time. And the elders have asked me to do a special study on the side. And then there's email. Isn't that fun? You ever come in and there's a hundred messages waiting for you. And everybody wants just a little eight-page answer to some little question. And some of you are thinking, you think you got time pressure. You, you ought to know what my life is like. I don't know about you, but every night I go to bed feeling like I cheated something. Either my family or my job or my friends or my parents. But I don't have enough time. And on top of all of that, you know what time does? Time is constantly reminding me that things I love end That party you're having a good time at, it's going to end. That great year you're having in school, it's going to end. That person you're married to and you love so much someday, it's going to end. Time is always reminding me that every good thing in my life ends. But it's not going to be like that forever. The scripture says... There'll be no more night. They'll not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. 
In heaven, time will not be a diminishing resource. John Newton had it right. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in a hurry to get to a place where I will never have to be in a hurry again. Another great thing about heaven is there's going to be no more frustration in obedience. One of the most frustrating things about fallenness is I am aware of my inability to give God all he's due. And I know why. I don't give God everything he deserves partly because I've got a self that I'm trying to die to every day and it keeps coming back. I've got a sin nature that's constantly wanting me to do what I don't want to do and not do what I ought to do. And on top of that, I deal just like you with shame and with the concept of my inadequacy. There's many times when I think I ought to do that for God, but I'm not worthy. I'm too sinful. I have no right. And on top of all that, there's just the frailty of my mortality. My body is getting weaker. The day is going to come where I'm just sick and not going to be able to think like I used to think. Or work like I used to work. I don't want to be like Emmett Smith. Athletes are always playing too long. Always thinking they still got it when they don't. I don't want to do that. When I, when I ain't got it anymore, would y'all let me know? Now, some of you have been letting me know, but I'm talking about... The great majority of you, when I ain't got it anymore, let me know. The fact of the matter is, since the day I was born, I've never given God all he was due. But I'm going to get a new body that'll never grow weak. I'm going to get a new nature that'll never be morally flawed. Someday my heart will only love purely and and my mind will only think nobly and my tongue will only speak graciously and my hands will only serve gladly. Scripture says, chapter 22, verse 3 of Revelation, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Now I want you to imagine this, folk. Imagine never passing your peak. And we'll talk about this next Sunday. You're not going to be a static being in heaven. You're going to grow. You're going to develop. But imagine you serve God and you never pass your peak. Ever. All the limitations of this life that kept you from serving God like you wanted are gone. I look forward to giving God what he's been missing. My total Dedication. And one last thing. In heaven, there's going to be no more separation from God. It says, now the dwelling of God is with men. And God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know what's going to be missing in heaven? Distance from God. God will no longer have to veil his face. We will be able to see him in all his glory. And stand in his holy presence Look with me at Revelation 21, 22. Interesting verse says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You say, why is that important? Do you remember the Old Testament temple? It had an elaborate system of divisions to designate how close a person could get to God. 
There was the court only Gentiles could stay in. They couldn't pass. And beyond that was a court for women. And beyond that was a court for men. And beyond that was a court for priests. And beyond that was a holy of holy place that only one priest could go in. And they had it all laid out. This is how close you can get to God. You can't get any closer. John says there's not going to be any temple in heaven. Because of the blood of Jesus and the access that he has created, we are all going to be able to live in the holy presence of God. There are going to be no barriers in heaven between us and God. And you know what? We are never going to get enough of God. We are never going to get enough of God. Because it's his embrace we've been missing most of all. Max Licato writes, the old saint tells us when we get home, God himself will wipe away our tears. He says, when I was a young man, I had plenty of people to wipe away my tears. I had two big sisters who put me under their wings. I had a dozen or so aunts and uncles. I had a mother who worked nights as a nurse and days as a mother, exercising both professions with tenderness. I even had a brother three years my elder who felt sorry for me occasionally. But when I think about someone wiping away my tears, I think about dad. His hands were calloused and tough, his fingers short and stubby. And when my father wiped away a tear, he seemed to wipe it away forever. There was something in his touch that took away more than the drop of hurt from my cheek. It also took away my fear. Now John says someday God will wipe away your tears. The same hands that stretch the heavens will touch your cheeks. The same hands that form the mountains will caress your face. The same hands that curled in agony as the Roman spike cut through will someday cup your face and brush away your tears forever. And when you think of a world where there will never be a reason again to cry, doesn't it make you want to go home? Why would anybody want to miss heaven? But they will. Because there's one thing heaven misses most of all. Maybe you haven't thought about it. But the one thing heaven misses most of all is the one reason some people won't go to heaven. You know what it is? It's pride. And you can be sure no human pride will be in heaven. That's our problem. I don't know if you saw a uh, U.S. News and World Report survey a couple of years ago. They asked Americans... What are the odds that certain celebrities would go to heaven? As you might imagine, Mother Teresa came in first of the most famous people. You know who followed her second? Oprah. And then Michael Jordan, Colin Powell, O.J. Simpson came in last. But guess who came in first of all? Guess who the typical American thinks has even... A better chance than Mother Teresa to go to heaven. Themselves. Pride. Is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. And pride. Is what's going to keep people from entering. See I believe that the moment you get to heaven. You're going to realize pride doesn't belong. 
Somebody sent me this little poem. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all, by its lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice, and next to him, my old neighbor who never said anything nice, and Herb, who I always thought was rotten away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking pretty well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, said he. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. (laughs) If the presence of God is the best thing about heaven, the absence of pride will be a close second. We can't fathom it. We can't fathom living in a world without pride. But I say to you, your first conscious thought in heaven will be, only he is worthy. And your second will be, amazing grace. That was John's final thought. When he wrapped up his picture of heaven, and when the Holy Spirit wrapped up the Bible. Do you know what the last word is? Look at it with me. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Be with God's people. Amen. You know what heaven is? Heaven is grace uninhibited. Heaven is grace unending. Loved ones, don't miss it. Let's bow our heads. God, I feel like this sermon has been very inadequate. But in some ways, I feel like the assignment was impossible. How could I in 30 minutes or 30 years begin to fathom all that's wonderful about heaven because of what won't be there? No shadow of death. No pressure of time. No human pride no more fear no more shame God help us to have a greater hunger for this world this place you've prepared help us become in a holy way less content with the life we have and more eager for the life to come help us to live now as citizens Of the country we really belong in. Help us God. Hunger for heaven. And give us all a greater willingness to be strangers and aliens and pilgrims. Until we get home. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, in heaven, there's not going to be any sorrows. In this world, there's a lot. And one way you cope is you share your burdens with godly people so they can pray for you. They'll be in room 109, elders and ministers. I'll be down front.
Because there are some today who would like to be baptized into Jesus. Not just innocent of sin, but clothed in Christ. You can come to the front while we stand up, while we sing.